Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us for worship this morning. It is a blessing to see all of you here on a crisp uh, fall Sunday morning. It's a blessing to serve as the preaching minister here at the Oak Crest Church of Christ. Uh, if I've not met you, my name is Brian Simmons. And uh, one housekeeping matter, I typically want to meet and talk to as many people as I can after worship service. That's why my wife and I typically plant ourselves right back there by one of the doors. However, today, immediately after uh, services, I'm going to hop on the table and try and give a little blood. And so if you want to talk to me after services, I'll meet you at the blood drive. And you can give blood with me, or you can uh, encourage me as I give blood, and if I pass out, you can pick me up. <laughs> That's only happened once in all the years I've been giving blood, and all I can tell you is uh, don't skip breakfast, lunch, play basketball, and then give blood immediately after that. It's a, it's a bad idea. Trust me. Hey, by the way, you might uh, also recall that I am not from around here, so forgive me. Uh, my wife and I came here nine years ago from Portland, Oregon, and suffice it to say there are some uh, <clears throat> interesting people out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, if you ever have a chance, not during the sermon, you might want to Google a guy on a bicycle dressed as Darth Vader who plays bagpipes. He's a well-known, I told you, not during services, okay? Uh, there's a well-known character that uh, rides around on a double-decker bicycle, which is those really tall bicycles where the seat is about here, and way down there is the chain and pedals, and he dresses in full Darth Vader regalia with the mask and the cape and the whole bit, and he plays Scottish bagpipes as he rides a bicycle, which, don't ask me how that works, but he does it. He's an interesting character. And then for several years, during the 1990s, there was a, a wonderful, charming uh, older lady who ran the Church of Elvis, a little storefront church in downtown Portland where she was standing out in front of the door trying to encourage people in downtown Portland who walked by to worship Elvis Presley because Elvis was in fact a deity and he is worthy of our worship. And she, on some occasion, would wear the full Elvis white Las Vegas jumpsuit. Interesting people out there in Portland. I've not met anyone quite as interesting in my nine years here in the Oklahoma City area, but... I haven't been everywhere, so who knows? But I will tell you this, none of those characters has anything on Ezekiel. Seriously. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, or you just want to look at the verses on the slides behind me, you're welcome to. In the fourth chapter of Ezekiel, there is a crazy section of Scripture that you may never have encountered before, but I think we need to share it because what Ezekiel is asked to do by God is crazy. We pick up the story in Ezekiel 4 and verse 1. The Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, <laughs> set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. And then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. And it will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. And this will be a sign to the people of Israel. Okay, so then, <laughs> then lay on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. And so, Ezekiel, I have assigned you the same number of days 
as the years of their sin. And so, for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. Verse 6. After you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. And I've assigned you uh, 40 days, a day for each year. And turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with bared arm prophesy against her. I will, I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege? Look, I know I missed a few days of Sunday school when I was a kid, but I don't ever remember that story, okay? I don't think there was a Veggie Tales episode about that story any time in the ones that I saw when my kids were little. What in the world is going on here? Because if you were a resident of Jerusalem and you happened to be out and about on your way to the market and you came across Ezekiel laying on his side, arm-bared, speaking to a frying pan on which the other side of that was this clay structure that looks like Jerusalem, and he's talking to the frying pan? That makes Darth Vader back in Portland look pretty sane and pretty normal. And, oh, by the way, he would do this for 390, quick math, 390 plus 40, over 400 days consecutively. Come on, kids, let's go see the crazy man over there by the market. He's still there. Oh, and by the way, he's tied up. How is he fed? What does he do when he has to use the restroom? What does his day look like when it's raining or windy or cold? Can you imagine doing that on a day like this? And God asked him to do this. What in the world is going on here? It begs the question, why in the world would Ezekiel do something like this? Because it seems to me to be absolutely crazy. Ezekiel is a missionary. Now, he's not your typical missionary. He doesn't do what Paul did, for example, that we talked about last week. He doesn't do, for example, what the Whitmires are doing. He doesn't do, for example, what missionaries in Croatia are doing. But what he's doing really is being a missionary to God's people because God has a message he wants his people to hear. And I think Ezekiel at that point becomes someone who's very similar to any other missionary that we happen to support. And so I think we have to ask the question again, why would Ezekiel do this? And let me offer just a couple of observations about that, because I think the answer to that question has a lot to do with us today. Because you know what? When I look out at this audience of people, I see missionaries. Not just in the sense we talked about last week, where each of us has a link in the missionary chain, but I also see people that have the same heart that Ezekiel demonstrated. So why would Ezekiel do this? Well, let me submit this to begin with. I think Ezekiel did this because God asked him to. This whole passage starts off way back in verse 1. Son of man, and then God plunges into the explanation of what Ezekiel is being asked to do. Now, Ezekiel could have said no. Ezekiel could have been like Jonah and ran away. But instead, Ezekiel just rolled up his sleeves and lay down and spoke to a frying pan for over a year. And I think he did it simply because God asked him to. And I think we can understand that. Because if you think about your own life, isn't it true that we do all kinds of things for people because we love them? 
and they asked us to do it. In fact, oftentimes, that's the real reason why we do a lot of what we do, because someone that we love asked us to do it. And if you don't think that's true, you've never met Dick Hoyt. Here's a photograph of Dick Hoyt. Dick Hoyt ran a marathon, but he didn't do a marathon in the way that I have run marathons or Christiane has run a marathon. Dick Hoyt did it with his son. You see, his son has a physical impairment, and his son desperately wanted to be able to run a marathon. But because he's confined to a wheelchair, he knew that was never going to happen. And so he said, Dad, would you run a marathon with me? Now what that meant for Dick Hoyt is that he would do the running and his son would do the sitting in the wheelchair. And so Dick Hoyt put his son in a wheelchair, entered the marathon, and pushed him for 26.2 miles. Now why did he do that? Because someone he loved, his son, asked him to. That is a man of amazing heart. And Ezekiel, I believe, was a missionary with an amazing heart because God asked him to lay on his side in the dirt and later in the mud, in the baking sun, and in the rather cool days, and in the wind, and as people probably mocked him, and as people probably spat on him, and as people probably kicked dirt on him, and as people ridiculed him, he still lay there tied up talking to a frying pan because he loved God. And God asked him to do it. That is the heart of a missionary. Now, my suspicion is none of you have ever been tied up and talked to a frying pan for over a year. But the people I've gotten to know here at Oak Crest are people that have the heart of a missionary. You are people that have done things because you love God and God asked you to do it. You love God and so God says, hey, would you forgive someone that's hard to forgive? And you do. God says, hey, we'd like you to give of your means financially to support the Lord's work here in this location and far flung. And you have. You have the heart of a missionary. You see, you don't have to be tied up and talk to a frying pan for over a year simply to prove that you are a missionary. No, instead, you have the same heart in your own way that Ezekiel had. And so anytime you do something that God asks you to do, and you do it because you love him, you have the heart of a missionary. And you and Ezekiel are not as far apart as you might like to think you are. And maybe the best example I can give of that is one that I think is highly appropriate since this country recently celebrated Veterans Day. So as you know, in the Second World War, there was great enmity between the Japanese and the Americans. There was, at the end of World War II, an American missionary who decided that he wanted to try and bring the gospel to people that lived in Japan, the gospel to people that were enemies of this country. And so shortly after the close of World War II, he went to Nagasaki. Yeah, that Nagasaki, the same town on which an atomic bomb had fallen just a few years earlier. And in talking about his ministry there in Nagasaki to try and take the gospel to people that just a few years earlier were enemies of this country, here's what he said about his ministry. He said, God asked us to go into all the world, so I went into that part of the world. He loved God, and he went because God asked him to go. He didn't talk to a frying pan for a, a year. 
He went to share the gospel with people. And I think you, all of us, in our own ways, have that kind of a heart. And finally, I think Ezekiel did it because Ezekiel recognized that not only does he have the heart of a missionary, Ezekiel did it because he knew that some things are more important than discomfort. And in Ezekiel's case, it's the love of people. You see, Ezekiel did that not just because God asked him to, but because I think he had a heart, the heart of a missionary for God's people, the same heart of the man who went to Nagasaki, the same heart that unlocks the Christian Service Center every single morning, the same heart that does so many things in Portugal and in Croatia and in other places around the globe. Ezekiel did it, I think, because he knew that it was going to be difficult. And think about the discomfort he did endure, the ridicule, the weather, the discomfort of simply lying on your side. You see, that's what missionaries do. They say, yeah, it's discomfort, it's uncomfortable, yeah, it's difficult, but I love these people. And so I'll put up with the discomfort. And so I will put myself in a difficult situation. And I think the best example I have of that is from a missionary who's currently serving in Africa. The church that I used to preach for back in Portland, Oregon has for over 20 years supported a family in the nation of Uganda. Uganda is a poor, previously war-torn nation that has a lot of struggles. And this man and his wife and their kids have been missionaries in that place for a long time. And boy, let me tell you, they've seen stuff. It is a difficult place to be a missionary. Here's what he said just last week in an email. Over a month ago, there was an Ebola outbreak in Uganda. In case you don't remember, Ebola is an incredibly highly transmitted, deadly disease that kills people and kills them quickly. You don't want to get it. It makes COVID look like a walk in the park. His email continues. Ebola has been discovered in seven districts, including on both sides of the town where we live. There have been over 130 confirmed deaths from Ebola just in the vicinity of where our street is. Six health workers, in fact, have died, several in our own town. On top of that, our old Toyota Land Cruiser broke down with my wife and I in it, 70 miles from home. That happened the day before the district where we lived was locked down because of COVID, and so I had to hire a driver and a vehicle to take us home. And that took up most of my month's operating budget. <clears throat> Finally, my family and I are being forced to move to another house because the landlord sold the house that we were renting and then hired some thugs from the local town to harass us until we move. All three of us, my wife and I and my child, were currently sick, and we would go to the capital city to see a doctor, but the capital city is locked down right now, and we can't get there. Here's how he closed his email. Fun, fun, fun. Oh, and by the way, I would add to that that this email was sent last week. Uh, on my cell phone over there is a text that was just sent two days ago, and he said, Oh, I found out why I'm sick. I have typhoid. And yet for 20 years, he and his family have endured that discomfort because as he has said on many occasions, I love the Ugandan people. In fact, his son is a student of mine at Oklahoma Christian University, and that love for the Ugandan people burns deep in his heart too. And when I look at this auditorium of people, 
Some I've gotten to know and some I haven't yet gotten to know. But knowing what you do here for the Lord's kingdom, I see people that have the heart of a missionary. I see people that put up with discomfort because you love people. You put up with the discomfort of, here we go, (laughs) carrying these heavy bags. And by the way, I'm giving blood after services, and so I'm not supposed to lift anything for 24 hours. And so, you know, you're on your own to load the truck. But the people I've met here at Oathcrest are willing to put up with some discomfort because you love God's people. And I don't know what that discomfort is in each of your lives, but I believe you have the heart of a missionary. And so today, whatever else we do, we celebrate the heart of missionaries, not just those that are in Croatia and Portugal and at the Cross and Crown or or anywhere else. We celebrate all of us that have that heart. Because while you might not be on the mission field in the sense that my friend is on the mission field in Uganda, you visit people in the hospital or in a nursing home when you're really tired and would rather just go home. You give to the Lord's work when the money is tight and the gas prices have risen and inflation is battering you. You read to kids as a part of the Whiz Kids program, even though, quite honestly, it can be really tiresome and it takes a lot out of you sometimes. There are a lot of things you do to fill these green bags that are uncomfortable. And I believe that that shows the heart of a missionary. People I've gotten to know here have volunteered to teach classes or to help out with things when other people could have done it but didn't. That's the heart of a missionary. And so when I read the Ezekiel story, I look backwards at that, and I say, wow, that's crazy. I don't understand it, but boy, that's impressive, Ezekiel. And I look to the present, and I see people who have the heart of a missionary. And so when I say, Ezekiel did what? I take a step back, and I say, oh, that's right. He had the heart of a missionary, and so do we. And so if someone looks at the bags on the stage and says, you did what? It's because this church has the heart of a missionary. And if you forgive someone who is hard to forgive, what? It's because you have the heart of a missionary. You did something because God asked you to. And you love God. You give blood on the table. Why? That's uncomfortable and quite frankly a little scary. You do it because you love people. And that's what we're about. And so this morning, in the midst of Missions Month, as we head toward next Sunday, which in many ways is the crescendo, when we take up a special collection to support the missionary efforts of this congregation, I just want to encourage us, and I want to acknowledge that all of us are not just part of that chain that I talked about last week. All of us, I believe, have the heart of a missionary. And I don't know about you, I'm grateful that I don't have to do what Ezekiel was asked to do. But God has asked us to do something else. You know, it's interesting. The song that Kyle and his team have chosen for us to sing right now is here in this place. And I believe that God is here in this place. But I believe that God's missionaries are also here in this place. I believe that the people here in this place have the heart of a missionary. And so today we celebrate that. But we recognize also that on this Lord's Day, in this place, there's also opportunity Opportunity for those of you who have felt the Lord knocking at your door.
to answer that knock and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Today could be that day. Or, or maybe today's the day you want the shepherds of this congregation to pray with you about your life. We'd like to do that too. It's our custom here at Oakcrest for one of our shepherds to be at the front of this room to receive you and to bless you spiritually. Another will be out there in the lobby at the back if that's more comfortable for you. But don't let today slip away if you don't have the opportunity to take advantage of the spiritual blessings this church family wants to offer you. So as people with the heart of a missionary, let's stand together and sing about the Lord here in this place. Thank you.